Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. So, good morning. My name is Rob Geislinger. I've been a member of uh, Creekside for many years and currently one of the members of the board as well. Um, I've offered to preach on occasion. I offered to Alan. I offered to, uh, to Luke. And the timing was never quite right for, for it at the time. And I'm glad that you finally, uh, I think the Lord has, has made this the time that I start. Uh, I do have a master's from uh, Liberty Seminary. I am not called to be a preacher. I'm telling you that. My calling is to be, uh, be there for my brother firefighters as a chaplain. That's, that's what I really want to do. That's where I think my, my benefit is. So, But I, I did want to help be here for people if that is the opportunity. So about six months ago, our board voted to sell a property that we have in Kiowa. Uh, the property had been, it was an old house and it had been used by a church that existed in Kiowa at the time. And when the church folded, many of the members from that congregation came to Creekside and the building was uh, deeded over to us. Uh, we looked at it um, at the time, and we said, you know, maybe we should sell this. It's, it's not getting much use. The building sits as the, uh, has been used for our Kiowa Connection Group, meeting about once a week, and little else. So it's, uh, we're paying gas, we're paying electric, we're paying water and sewer for a building that we're not using much. So we, we talked about this about three or four years ago as a board. Maybe we should sell it. We looked at it, and the building was not worth that much at the time. It would have dropped our mortgage a little bit, but we would not have had... Uh, the benefit that we would have today. Today we looked at it, and as you know, prices have gone through the roof. And so we actually have a contract on the building at this point. Uh, with the intent, we have a closing schedule for the week after next. And we will, at that time, make enough money to pay off our mortgage completely and have a few, few dollars left over at the end. So that is a big blessing to the church. Had we sold it three or four years ago, it would have been a little blessing. We would have dropped our mortgage a little bit, but we'd still be making mortgage payments. With this, we'll be freeing up probably $3,500 a month that was now going towards the mortgage that we can now use towards God's work, towards ministry. So it's a very powerful thing and something for us to celebrate. <clears throat> so, yes. So this is a, uh, a story, kind of a good introduction that leads into what we're talking about today, which uh, the lesson I call Waiting on God to Act. Uh, in this message, we'll look at how we as humans, we try to get things done right away. We say, God must want me to do it this way. And we're going to see some times where humans will act before God is ready for them. And that's what the, a big part of this story is. Um, God has set us up, though, that we can mature if we follow his path. If we try to take a shortcut, we miss out on lessons that will help us to grow. Pastor Rick Warren had talked about that, um, that good things from God often take some time to actually develop into, into the right thing. In his book, Pur Purpose Driven Life, 
he said, when God makes a mushroom, he does it overnight. But when he makes a giant oak, he takes a hundred years. Great souls are grown through struggles and storms and seasons of suffering. Be patient with the process. And I think this is a, a good lesson for all of us and something that we're going to talk a little bit about here. God wants us to be strong. He wants us to grow to the point that like an oak tree, you can see, you can see an oak tree in a distance, and that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be strong, tall, so that when people look at us, they can see God shining through to them. The oak tree takes forever, as he said, 100 years, longer than most of us will live to get to the point. The oak tree has strong root systems. It will withstand drought. It will withstand storms. It will uh, withstand the strong winds that would otherwise affect the life. Mushrooms, on the other hand, they come out after the rain and they disappear as soon as the ground dries up. I mean, they're, they're not around for very long. They don't make a very good act, um, a, a good example for us. So that's, that's where I think Rick is, uh, is very good. Pastor does a good job there. Um, this, is, this message is a continuation of Exodus. If you'd like to open your Bibles, we're going to start at the latter part of chapter 4, and we'll finish up in the beginning of chapter 6. And don't worry, that's a lot of words, but it's not going to be uh, an hour-long sermon. So I promise, I promise that. So before we unpack today's verses, I would like to recap the previous four weeks. We know that Moses was put into a boat, floated down the Nile, was picked up by pastor's uh, daughter and adopted. So as a, he basically grew up in, the, um, in an Egyptian household. The advantage he had, his mother was his nurse for much of that time. So she was able to impart in him the stories and the, and the history of the Hebrew people. He was able to talk about the God that their forefathers had served. And so he learned that. Uh, in a, in a, he was in a unique position. He was a Hebrew, and he was also a powerful member of, of Pharaoh's court. It's from this position that Moses, when he looked out and saw someone beating up a fellow Hebrew, he went out and attacked the, he, the, the Egyptian, killed him, and buried the body. He thought he was doing God's job. He knew in his heart, I'm here to save the Hebrew people. And he thought he was doing that. But he obviously short-circuited the process. God did not want Moses to kill people in order to get his people saved. So after his sin was exposed, someone said, are you going to kill me too? After he was exposed, Moses ran away, spent 40 years in the desert. And this highlights the first reason why God causes people to wait, is preparation. Preparation. Moses was not ready at this point to become the savior of his people. He became the savior after 40 years working as a servant for his father-in-law. Moses was correct that he was meant to save the people, but he was doing it in the wrong way. Eventually, after 40 years, he met the Lord in a bush. And the Lord told him, this is how you are going to save the people. Before he had tried to do it his own way, now he was doing it in God's way. So we see a lot of examples in the Bible where God uses um, waiting as a means to, to help his people. Big example we see in the New Testament in three of the four Gospels is a story of how Jesus, immediately after he's baptized by John the Baptist, 
is sent into the desert for fasting. He fasts for 40 days to prepare for his ministry. 40 days, 40 pops up a lot in relation to preparation. We see it in the, uh, with Moses. We see it later with the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. And here we see Jesus for 40 days fasting. During his fast, he was tempted by Satan on three occasions that are written down, tempted to take a shortcut. He said, I'll give you everything that you want, everything that, the God, that God the Father wants you to have, but you do it my way and it's going to be a whole lot easier. Fortunately, even though Moses failed and did take the shortcut, our Lord and Savior did not. He followed the path that the Father had laid out for him. So as we begin today's reading, Moses is returning to Egypt. He's not a privileged member of Pharaoh's household anymore. He is returning as a lowly shepherd, a shepherd that doesn't even own the flocks he takes care of. Before, he had taken matters into his own hands. Now he's coming back in the hands of the Father. So he is prepared for what is coming up. The Lord had said to Aaron, Go and meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron everything that the Lord had sent him to say and about all the signs he had commanded him to do. If you remember from last week, Moses was reluctant to follow the Lord. God said, just go and tell the people that I'm here to, to save. And he said, Lord, they're not going to believe me. And so the Lord said, okay, I will give you some signs that you can show the people to show that you're really from me. And he said, but Lord, I can't talk. I'm, I don't know how to speak well. I'm not eloquent. And so God said, okay, you don't need that. I will give you the words. And when he still resisted, God relented and said, okay, I'll give you the words, you give them to Aaron, and, pass, and he will pass them on. And so that's the, the story as we come uh, forward. Then Mer Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron repeated everything to the Lord that the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people. The people believed. The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord God had paid attention to them, and that he had seen fully their misery, had seen their misery, they knelt and worshiped. Moses was returning with a great message of power uh, for the people. For the first time in generations, they had seen and heard from the Lord. They believed. They believed. That's important to remember as we go forward. They, it says they believed. They also learned God's, God's name, Yahweh. I am who I am, or I am that I am. This is something that nobody had ever known before. Even Jacob, who wrestled with God all night face to face, and God couldn't defeat him during this, this, this wrestling match, even at that point, Jacob said, tell me your name, and God said, no. He said, you don't need to know it yet. So this is something that is new to the people. Knowing a person's name increases the intimacy we have with that person. I'll give a story. Years ago, I was the ride supervisor at Elish Gardens, the old Elish amusement park in Denver. When we start a season, I would have to have a staff of about 
about 100 people to make, my, uh, make all the rides operate effectively. So I had 100 people working for me. You can imagine a job like that, there's some turnover. So during a season, I had about 200 people working for me, mostly kids, a lot of people. And so you can imagine I would be shopping, I would be doing something, and someone would come up to me and say, hey, Rob, or hi, Mr. Geislinger, and I hated that because I was only 18. It was not, I didn't want to be Mr. Geislinger. But they would come up to me, and most of the time, I didn't remember names. They may have worked for me for only two, one or two weeks. And so I got really good at saying, hey, man, how you doing? Hi, buddy. Hey, pal, what's going on? I was in an embarrassing situation where I did not know the person. I wanted to get out of that embarrassing situation as much as possible. So it was usually, how you doing? Well, I really got to go. Not much. But there were times that somebody would come up to me and I knew them. I'd spent time with them. And they'd say, hey, Rob, how you doing? And I would reply, hey, Bob, hey, hey, Joe. And we would spend time to get to know each other even more. How you, what, what's been going on? So knowing a name in those situations makes all the difference. And it makes a difference for the Hebrew people here. They probably felt much the same way. God is telling us his name. He never told anybody his name. This is awesome. He's given us something that, that nobody else has ever had. So Moses was not only able to tell the people who he was, he was able to tell them what his mission was, and he showed them signs. So they, they, they knew a lot. And with that, after that, Moses and Aaron went and talked to, to Pharaoh. So the word says, later Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. Now, one thing we need to know when we, when we look at this, um, and I'm going to stop here for a second. This is the first time that the Lord is referred to as the God of Israel. The, prior to this, he had always been the God of, God of your father or God of somebody else. This is the first time in the Bible that he says, I am God of everybody. So it's a, it, it's a big thing to hear this. So if we, look, if we go back to the burning bush, this is in chapter 3. Let's see, I, did I forget to put it in here? I might have. Yep, I did, sorry. Uh, but in, in, the, uh, in chapter 3, verse 6, when God first talks to Moses from the burning bush, he says, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Nowhere does he say, I am your God. Nowhere does he say, I am the God of your people. So this is the first time that that's come out. And that's pretty impressive. Um, it indicates a significant change in the relationship between God and his people and his people and their God. Now it is a personal relationship before it was an impersonal one. Yeah, my dad saw you, but I didn't know you. You're the guy that my dad talked to or wrestled with, but I, I, I don't know you personally. But Pharaoh responded, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Now, it's important to understand that Pharaoh was considered to be a god in Egypt. By reputation, he was the... Um, reincarnation of the god Horus, who was the god of the sky and the kings. Eventually, he would be the sun god, the highest god. So Horus was a very important god. 
as a God himself, Pharaoh said, I don't even know who this guy is. Why should I, I listen to anything that the Lord says? And he also thought, you know, if your God has any power for whatsoever, why have you been enslaved with me for, for, for so many years? What is going on? So at this point, Pharaoh does not have any reason that he should obey his commands. They answered, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God or else he may strike us with plague and fire. Sorry, it's not moving forward. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to reject their work? Get to your labor, Pharaoh also said. Look, the people of the land are so numerous and you would stop them from working? Think about what Moses is asking for here. He is not asking that uh, the Israelites be allowed to loot his people. Even though God said the Israelites are going to loot these people. He is not saying that God is, wants to take the Israelites fully away from, from Egypt. Even though that's what the Bible says it's going to happen. And God had told them it was going to happen. He's not asking to afflict the Egyptians with calamities and plagues, even though God said he would do that. What is he asking for? He's asking for a three-day weekend. Say, let us go worship our God. So from Pharaoh's perspective, this is a pretty light request. He's saying, just let us go worship our God. That's not what God wants to do. That's not what God told Moses he would do. That's not what Moses expects. He, they expect to do much more than that. And I think it's important that he put this in here. So rather than allowing Moses' pretty reasonable sounding request, Pharaoh rejects it. The reason why that is important Later on, on several occasions in the Bible, we will read that, that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And many, many people, uh, skeptics of Christianity, will look at that and say, God cannot be a loving God if he's going to push somebody away from himself. That's why this verse is so important, these verses. Because it shows that even with a very small request, Pharaoh says no. This shows that, God, that Pharaoh's heart is already hardened for God, hardened against the Israelites, and hardened away from righteousness. So when God hardens it later, it's not that he's taking someone who has a chance for salvation. At this point, Pharaoh has already made his, made his decision on which way he wants to go. When God hardens his heart, he just makes it harder. He just makes it more resistant to God than it already is. It's already a heart of stone. Let's make it a heart of diamond. It doesn't matter at this point. Now, we know that God is all-powerful. Could he have, at this point, taken the Israelites and, and saved them? Absolutely. There's nothing that could have stopped him there. He could have struck down Pharaoh and all of his armies and said, go ahead and get out of here. He could have miraculously just picked up the people and moved them elsewhere. But he didn't do that. Why not? It wasn't his time yet. He could have, but he didn't. I think one of the reasons why he didn't do it at this point is because of God's mercy. And he does do delay for mercy, and we're going to look at a few verses for that. It's very important. Um, if we look ahead 
and we're going to read about this in a couple weeks. This is in Exodus 12, 37, and 38. The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Sakath, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot, besides their families. A mixed crowd, and some of your versions may say a mixed multitude, um, something along those lines. Uh, an ethnically diverse crowd, something along those lines. A mixed crowd also went up with them, along with a number of livestock, both flocks and herds. Now, who was in this mixed crowd? And it's important to recognize this. Who was in this mixed multitude? We don't know for sure, but we know that it is multiple nationalities that are represented here. It is probably other people that had been enslaved by Egypt. There were probably... Uh, other nation, nation groups that Egypt had, had already enslaved, and so they wanted to leave, and that makes sense. It may have been visitors or merchants that had come into Egypt and saw the plagues and said, this God is, is pretty powerful, I want to go with him. And it might have even been some Egyptians who looked at what happened during the plagues and said, this God is far more powerful. They looked at their gods and said, they're pathetic, I want to follow this God. So we don't know, but there were many, many people other than the Israelites who followed them into the desert. So why did he, this goes back to why he caused them to wait. Um, God gave hope to a multitude, a mixed multitude of foreigners who would have missed out if God had acted earlier and just taken the people out. So there was a reason for the waiting. There was a reason that God did not act right away. So in 2 Peter 2, 3, 9, the Lord says the Lord does not delay his some does not delay his promise as some understand it but is patient with you not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance God's timing can appear slow to us because he wants to bring as many people into his fold as possible as are willing to do that thankfully God gave me time to repent of my sins thankfully God gave you time to repent of your sins so that we could come to him. Um, so that day, uh, Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks. As before, they must go and gather straw for themselves but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men, that they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. So the overseers and foremen of the people went out and said to them, that's what Pharaoh said. I'm not giving you straw. Go get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but there will be no reduction uh, at all in your workload. So the people scattered to, throughout Egypt to gather stubble for themselves. So instead of recognizing God's authority over himself, and instead of recognizing God's authority over his people, Pharaoh is asserting his authority. He says, I'm going to make you do something even harder. Pharaoh is acting like the false God that he is and say, I'm going to show my power and that will stop what's going on. Now, straw was an essential component of brick making. Without it, they could not do it, so they had to go elsewhere. We'll find in the next few weeks, as for, even though Pharaoh has, has basically uh, 
used to all his power at this point, we're going to find in the next couple weeks that that power is useless against the power of God. And we're going to see how other gods that Egypt worships are no longer powerful in sight of the true God of the universe. Now, it's important to recognize... Um, it's important to recognize that the foremen were actually Israelites themselves. So they were, the, the foremen are Israelites, they're the ones that are, are cracking the whips and making the people work. At, presumably, when Moses and Aaron came and showed the signs and read the words, presumably they knew about that. Presumably they were among the people that worshipped when they heard the word. Presumably, that's, that's what should have happened. With that, with that knowledge, it is tragic that they acted the way they did. What was the first response? And I'm going to read this now. Then the Israelite foremen, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had said over the people, were beaten and asked, why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foremen went and cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants so bad this way? No straw has been given to your servants yet. Yet they say to us, make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. So they were actually Israelites. They had heard the words. What was their first response when things got bad? Did they kneel down and pray and say, God, please protect us? No. Did they go to the elders and say, what can you do to help us? And they didn't do that. They didn't go to Moses and Aaron who had showed them the signs and given them the words. It was not to seek guidance from any of these people. They went to Pharaoh, the false god. So their first response was to Pharaoh. And so this shows a third reason why, why God may want us to wait. He was testing them at this point. Are you ready to go? And when they rejected the words that they had heard, when they rejected the words they had heard and gone to uh, Pharaoh, they showed that they are not ready to go. Oops, sorry. So Pharaoh responded, but you are slackers, slackers. That is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. But, it, but he said, you are, oh, we got that one, never mind. Uh, the Israelites foremen saw that they were in trouble with when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. Now, at this point, the Israelites were dejected. They had heard, they believed, they saw signs. They had all of this going for them. But instead, they were dejected. They did not understand. They were looking at this from their timeline and said, you know what, maybe Moses lied to us. Maybe we can get it back to the relative ease that we had last week before he imposed this bigger burden on us. They may have said, you know, maybe God is going to protect us, but he's, he's kept us here for 400 years already. Why do we want to keep, keep going? And it's because they had not looked at the bigger picture. Only God saw the bigger picture. He saw that his mercy was going to be an impact here, that he was going to save other people because of what was happening and he knew that the people were not prepared for what they had ahead of him. So this was an opportunity. Now, although God, his people, God's people had failed the test, God remained faithful to them. He was now going to demonstrate his power as we get into chapter 6. 
Uh, and we're going to see some uh, miraculous events in the next couple weeks. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and, this, and his official, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So this shows the response of the, of the foreman to, after they confronted Moses. They were saying, why did you do this to us? It's your fault. Again, not taking, they're not responsible at that point. Let's see, I'm technical difficulties again. Sorry about that. Okay. But the Lord replied to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you will see because of a strong hand, he will let them go. Because of a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. I think that is remarkable. We have a situation here, and, and I remember, I remember Charlton Heston talking to Yule Brenner, uh, Moses saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh saying, I'm not going to let your people go. But if you think about it, that's a passive sentence. Are you going to let my people go? Are you going to let my people go? Oh, no, I'm not going to let your people go. What this is saying at the end, it's not just letting go. He's going to say, I'm going to drive you out. It's saying Moses is going, or that Pharaoh is going to say, get out of here, you people. I don't want to see you anymore. And that's just remarkable to me. So Pharaoh, by that point, his heart is incredibly hard. His heart is hardened towards God. His heart is hardened towards God's and although it's fully hardened against God, although he is fully against the people, he will have no choice but to do exactly what God wants him to do. God's going to say, get him out. And he will have no choice. What this says is that there is no escape from God's plan. We will do what he wants us to do. The only choice we have is whether we will do it willingly or under duress. As for me, I'm going to try to do it willingly. I don't want God forcing me to do anything. This is, this is very powerful. After the Israelites confronted Moses, God reiterates the, problem, the promises that he had made. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. And again, this is important. He's saying, you have a special situation here. The people now know my name. This is different. I also established my covenants with them to give them the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan and the land they lived with as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites who the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves and I have remembered my covenant. As, so, so this is saying that God does remember his covenant and he's going to reiterate the covenant in just a few passages. Um, but as we finish today's reading, I want to give you the opportunity. Um, if you're taking notes, take notes of some of the verses that I'll be reading because I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. As we finish the reading, God gives a number of remarkable promises to the Egyptian people. What's interesting, uh, J. Vernon McGee calls them the seven I will statements in the Old Testament. Um, and it's, it's almost, you'll, you'll read how it's a contract. But what's interesting is as you study these verses, you're going to find many, many parallels in the New Testament. So what God is telling the Israelite people is also going to be, occur in the later verses. So I'm going to read through these. It's, uh, 
So therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. So that's what he's telling the Egyptians. On the other hand, in the New Testament we read in 2 Corinthians 2.10, He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We, will, we have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. Going back to the reading, and I will free you from slavery to them. Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Paul writes in Titus 2.14, He gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people of his own possession. I will take you as my people. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And he's finishing up, he says, And I will be the Lord your God who delivered you from the forced labor of Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. So in John 14, 2 and 3, we read about our own future. Where Jesus says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. It's interesting, he, the next three words, he says, I am the Lord. So think about that. He gives the promises, and as you read this, that almost sounds like a signature if you've got a contract. This is what I'm going to do for you, and he signs it, the Lord. You think we can trust that? He's telling us, I'm going to do all these things, and I've signed it. Do you think the Israelites should have trusted that? I think they should. So Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to them because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Notice that every one of these uh, statements that we heard talks about what God will do. I, as God, will save you. I, as God, will free you from slavery. I, as God, will redeem you. It's everything that God is doing for them. None of these identify anything that the people have to do to earn what God has given. I will do this for you. It points to a future, which I've already mentioned, where God came down as a baby, ultimately dying on the cross, taking on our sins. He did that for us. We did nothing. And that is important to recognize. We can do nothing. We can only rely on God's power to do everything for us. All of these are promises to those who believe and trust in his son. All of these gifts are promises by God and will happen. Some may happen quickly. In the case that we're going to see of the plagues coming up, that's probably within weeks of Moses getting back. Some may take a long time. God is taking his people to Canaan, but it's going to be 40 years before they get there. So that is all that we're going to see. They will happen. 
So in closing, I want to relate a, a little situation from my, our own life, Sherilyn and me and, and my family. Uh, <clears throat> about 15 years ago, Sherilyn and I adopted two great kids, Matthew and Rachel. Uh, I knew probably three or four years before that that we were going to adopt. I was confident of that. Sherilyn was not confident of that. She was confident we would not. And that was okay. And I, I didn't push her. I didn't say, we, we got to adopt, we got to adopt. But over time, God started putting on her heart saying, we need to adopt. We need to adopt. And so it took what, almost two years before I said, okay, it's time. And I think it was important because the reality was, I don't think when we first decided to do it that we would have been prepared for it. So God was using that time to give us a preparation. Um, so once we decided to adopt, we took the exams required by the state. And there's a lot, of, a lot of classes you have to go through. And we could probably, I think most people finished in two or three months, not a big deal. It took us about a year and a half. I mean, we just kept having excuses for not going, not getting the last class. And then we finally got the last class and we were approved. I think it was just, it was within a week of getting approved. I broke down. So. Within a week, we got a call and said, we've got two kids available for adoption. Now, during the waiting period, we had talked as a family, and there were three things that we wanted to make sure when we adopted kids. Our biological daughter said, I want a boy and a girl. I want a brother and a sister. And so that was, that was criteria one. Criteria two was that we did not want to adopt someone with long-term illness. And Sherilyn and I are, well, we're not old, but we're, we're along. <laughs> we didn't want to have to pass someone with a medical problem onto to our other kids. We didn't think that was appropriate, so we said no. And then the third thing we wanted was that they would be free from the foster system because we didn't want to get attached to kids and then have somebody take them away. So when we were told that we had these kids, um, they met all the criteria, and it was within, within days of, of being approved. It was only, only a week or two before we were approved that Matthew and Rachel were free. And so they met all the criteria. It's through God's timing, through God's... Uh, having us wait, we were able to get something. Now, if you look at, from a human perspective, it took, what, three or four years. It took a long time from a human perspective. From God's perspective, the timing was perfect. Everything worked together. So, um, so as we go this week, I would like us to think about situations in our own lives that maybe God is having us wait. It may be, I'm waiting for a job and I've just, I haven't heard the call. It may be a sickness I just cannot break. It may be um, prayers that, that appear are not being answered for you. Things that, you know, why is this not happening? Um, we all have these situations. And while these things can deject us and, and make us uh, wonder about God, the reality is that they are helping us. They're making us stronger. And let's look at those situations and be prepared for them. So let's close in prayer. Uh, I, before I do, I want to say if we have anybody here who's a, uh, a first-time visitor or has not been uh, 
had their questions answered. I've got, we'll have Jake back there. We'll have Deanna back there. Sorry, guys, I'm volunteering you. I'll be back there. Uh, if you have any questions, we'll be happy to help you out. Um, so let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we know that there are so many things that are happening that are on your time, and we, we with our human brains, do not have the ability to comprehend what you are doing. And, and we just thank you, Lord, and know and trust that you will do things in your time that are appropriate, and we just ask you to, to bless those things. Um, I pray for next week's business meeting and for our members of our church. I just pray, Lord, that you will give us all wisdom so that we may vote in a way that honors you and, and allows our church to move forward um, in a way that you think is necessary. We, we put it all in your hands. I thank you, Lord, for the uh, upcoming sale of the Kiowa building and just pray that this will continue so smoothly, and that we are able to sign and close by the deadline. And then finally, Lord, I just uh, want to pray. We, ha we have a, a horrible situation in Ukraine, and it's threatening to draw other people in, and uh, we've got millions of refugees coming out of Ukraine at this point, and uh, many thousands more that are injured or, or dead. And I just pray, Lord, for all of these people. I pray that you will provide a a miraculous completion to this, um, to this situation. That when peace will come, that we know it is you that brought this out. That from this horrible action, that we can see you shining through it. Lord, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.